right. Okay, Fair let's point. bring in Mrs. Douglas. Okay, show me Mrs. D. Excuse me? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I okay, didn't... what do you say now? Oh, uh, I'm sorry, miss. I didn't mean to overstep. Wait a second. I yes. know who you are. You do? Oh, my God, you old mama's granddaddy. Oh, oh my God. Thank you. Oh, there you go. I love you, baby. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> wow. Oh, her thumbs. Whoa. That was not how I wanted that to go. Yeah. Um, did we learn anything today? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not really, no. But, you know, the important thing, I think, is that I'm listening. Mm -hmm. I hear you. And I feel you. I not feel the right you. direction. Okay? So, come on. Let's hug it out, America. What do you say, huh? Biden and some woman in 2020, right? We can do that. Wait. Are you making an official announcement right now? Oh, I sure am. Live from New York, it's hey, Saturday night! It's Saturday Night Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 17 of SNL with host Kit Harrington and musical guest Sarah Bareilles. I'm John Murray, and I'm joined this week by SNL vintage connoisseur, Andrew Dick. You can connect with Andy on Twitter at That Week in SNL. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. If you're enjoying our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. It's your support that makes the cast possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already pitched in. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash snlpodcast. All right, enjoy. Okay, let's start with some SNL news. Next week, SNL will be rounding out their April run with fourth-time host Emma Stone and Korean pop sensations BTS. But I am way more interested in what SNL announced for their May 4th outing. So, Andy, why don't you paint a picture? What should we be expecting come May? Uh, well, it's the return of Adam Sandler, mm -hmm. which I think nobody ever guessed would happen, especially since the man himself has said, I don't really feel like doing it. Yeah, this was not on anyone's SNL bingo card for season no. 44. No, not at all. And especially, I mean, he's, he's part of the last cast that basically got unceremoniously kicked off the show. Right. Uh, so, you know, he's come back and done guest spots and stuff, but... Yeah, super bizarre to see him coming back. I guess he's on some sort of renaissance. I heard a lot of people say that his last stand-up was was really amazing, but I just, for me personally, I, I've just been off the Adam Sandler train for so mm -hmm. long that I, I just found that baffling. I was like, no way. Uh, but I don't know. I guess I'll have to watch it now before he hosts because, yeah, who, who saw this coming? Yeah, he has a special on Netflix um, that's uh, kind of a, a variety offering. You know, it isn't, I think, what you'd call like pure stand up the way that a lot of stand up specials are, but uh, it's pretty engaging. And in particular, he has a very touching tribute to Chris Farley in it that 
uh, is definitely worth checking out. And, you know, he's also been producing and uh, starring in a bunch of other stuff, primarily on Netflix, but some other locations mm. too. Um, so he's definitely doing something. Uh, but kind of like what you said, uh, I've been off the Adam Sandler bandwagon long enough that uh, it, it just, it, it never occurred to me that this was something that we might want to expect at some point yeah um so yeah uh, it's it's just a lot of question marks at this point how is his sensibility gonna jive with what modern snl is you know how do the comedy sensibilities overlap there i i just i i don't really have a clear picture of what this show could be so i'm intrigued yeah is it gonna be like a like a celebration of early 90s snl <laughs> see that could go either way if it was <laughs> yeah i know it's just so baffling like i don't really see him fitting in with the new cast or, you know, the current cast and the idea of a early nineties, uh, celebration, uh, is also kind of weird. Uh, especially since some of the more prominent people are no longer with us. So right. I don't know. Could be interesting though. Uh, I, I would like to see some old friends back. I'm sure we'll get Chris rock and probably Rob Schneider and stuff in there. So who, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I could see that maybe popping in in solidarity, maybe during the monologue or cold open or something, but I I don't see it being like a big, uh, like throwback show. I don't think they're trying to recapture, you know, the, the early nineties, uh, sensibility of the show. Uh, I, I have a feeling that more than anything, they're just going to kind of treat him the way they would any other first time host where the, the writers can very, deftly maneuver around the performer's strengths and just figure out how they can place them in hopefully, you know, winning scenarios. Yeah. So I don't think we're going to get like a whole bunch of like Adam Sandler, greatest hit sketches or anything like that. Maybe one for fan service. And like mm. you said, maybe some solidarity from uh, his brothers in arms from that era. But I have a feeling they're going to stray from that because I, I just think that that's too specific, a type of comedy and too outmoded at this point to, be the kind of crowd pleasing episode that SNL would need. That's that's my hunch. I don't know. We'll see. It's yeah. going to be interesting. <laughs> and I've already demanded that I I am able to come on to talk about it. So yes, as our resident vintage SNL guy, this is definitely within your wheelhouse to be able to speak with authority about that era. Fortunately, yeah. this was the first era that I watched of SNL that you know I was actually like invested in watching first run, kind of following the cast, getting absorbed in it. So this very much was my first cast. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm going to have something to say, but I wasn't really watching it uh, with an eye to sort of like the show's production or the history or what was going on behind the scenes. Like I was too young to really care about any of that. So it's going to be really nice to have you in the mix because you have a, a very well-rounded understanding of kind of all the shenanigans that went down during that era. <laughs> and uh, so hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll have something worthwhile to talk about after we see what Adam Sandler can bring. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was the big news. Uh, You want to jump into the show? Sure. Let's do it. All right. For our cold open, Joe Biden's 2020 campaign managers put their candidate through sensitivity training. We get Jason Sudeikis back as Joe Biden. Uh, So uh, considering what we've been getting for political material lately, uh, this was damn near a masterpiece. (laughs) In reality, It was just decent, Uh, but I think it says a lot that the two cold opens from 2019 that I have enjoyed the most have not featured Alec Baldwin as Trump and have featured returning cast members coming back to anchor the cold open, uh, which, you know, doesn't really say the best about what what they're doing right now, Uh, but 
just focusing on this. I've always liked Sudeikis. I've always liked this Joe Biden. And considering what's been coming, I mean, we've already known for a while that Biden's a bit of a a hugger, a kisser, a sniffer. <laughs> a little handsy. <laughs> a little handsy. <laughs> sure. Uncle Creepy. Uh, so this isn't tackling anything new, but... There's some fun moments in here, especially sure. where he like Kate comes in and he just walks up to her and they <laughs> just directly connect foreheads. Right, uh, was a great visual. And uh, Keenan's character is named Gary, and he keeps on calling him Gare, Gare Bear. Come on, Gare. <laughs> uh, so fun details in there, but still mostly just decent, but generally a good way to get the show started. Yeah, this one won me over and. Kind of like what you said, probably not because this is absolutely, you know, a stunning masterpiece of cold open fare, but because it was fresh and it had an underlying joke, mm. you know, there was, there was a through line. There was something that you could track there. Uh, the nice thing is that the Jason Sudeikis take on Joe Biden was already like, you know, this buddy, buddy, just kind of like here to have a good time. Everybody's friend, sort of a vivacious take on mm-hmm. Biden, which plays in so well to the subject matter that they're trying to cover that uh, it, it just fit really well. Like that just felt really good that they pieced that together and were able to play up what they'd already established with him. So I felt like this made sense. I felt like, you know, there was an actual story, like let's put this character through sensitivity training, see where we land. And then let's have a, a really fun turn at the end where he meets a kindred spirit, someone else who's like very, you know, handsy and gregarious and huggy. And, you know, they can just indulge each other in that way. And it, it felt very like innocent and it felt very charming and very fun. And uh, yeah, I just, it, it, it left me happy. So uh, this was good. This was definitely yeah. The the image of Leslie slapping Jason's ass as a bon- like a bongo, yeah, and he's encouraging it, right? Like he's yeah. he's you know it's very simpatico. Yeah, a lot <laughs> and of fun. He's like, oh, grab it, and then he sits down. And he's like, ooh, her thumbs. Yeah. Uh, so. so yeah, they they got to a fun place, and that's that's a win, you know, for the kind of yeah. cold opens when when we're trying to keep things grounded in the politics of the week to find something this much fun. That's a win. So yeah, I was good on it. Uh, it sounds like you were good on it. You ready to move on? Yeah. Let's do it. For our monologue, Kit Harrington takes questions from the audience, a tried and true format that always tends to bring with it a few celebrity pop-ins. This time we get Amelia Clark, John Bradley, and Rose Leslie uh, from Game of Thrones, as well as SNL writers Gary Richardson and Sam Jay, all asking mm. questions, uh, mostly with regards to spoiling the end of Game of Thrones. That's where we start. What do you think we got out of it? I'm going to say right off the bat. I've only seen the first season of Game of Thrones, so pretty much every single reference to it kind of flies over my head uh, to the point where I did not recognize any of our cameos, but was like, <laughs> oh, snap, look, it's Gary Richardson and Sam yeah. Jay. Like, yeah. All right. <laughs> and Gary, uh, Gary gets, I think, the best line at all of this because he's the first one that stands up and mm-hmm. demands to know the ending is like, bitch, I didn't come for sketches. <laughs> Yeah, and then now you've just walked into a PR nightmare or something like that as they're hauling him off. Hauling him away. Yeah, that was fun. (laughs) For an audience asking questions setup, which sometimes can be a little mundane, I thought that this was actually a lot of fun. It seemed like it had a a good energy that it was able to maintain. So uh, I was surprised that um, I didn't feel that this was lackluster in any way. I actually was still keeping pace with the show by the the end of this one. Mm. 
Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it didn't really break any new ground. And honestly, I've been liking where the monologues have been trending lately, where we just, it is just a straight monologue. Right. Here's who I am. Here's what I've done. Couple jokes. Let's get to the sketches. So, yeah, to see them trot out the question and answer, even though we got to see Gary and Sam. Uh, was like, oh, I kind of thought we were moving past this. Like, I was, I was fine with not doing this. Yeah, but here's the thing. Sometimes, if they leave one of these things to stew long enough, when they bring it back, it doesn't have that baggage. If this was something we're seeing a half a dozen times a season, which, you know, in the past, sometimes that was the case, mm -hmm. then it's a little bit more groan-worthy. But here, it just kind of made sense. Yeah. He was the kind of host where uh, he did really good in a lot of aspects, but carrying the monologue, you can tell that he has just kind of a, a mellow presence. Um, you know, he doesn't come out bouncing off the walls, mm -hmm. and the way he hits a joke is very subtle and a little deadpan. So it was kind of nice that we didn't just leave it all on him, because I don't think that he would have had quite the slam dunk that a few of the previous hosts had when it was just them telling their SNL story. I don't, I don't think he had a uh, well to draw on in that respect. Right. So I think they needed some sort of a structure for the monologue. And so since we haven't seen this in a while and because there was enough, you know, celebrities to bring in to give us a, a couple, you know, applause moments, I, I just, I feel like it worked. It, it served its purpose. I was still on board and that's, that's all I ask really by the end of the monologue, just show me that everyone's having fun and that we're, you know, we're just going to have a, uh, a fun breezy episode. And yeah. that's kind of where I was at with this. And I think now that I think about it, because the monologue does start with a little bit of that, here's what I've done. And I right. think the writers might've realized it's game of Thrones <laughs> in a bunch of crappy movies. Yes. So they, they got the, the one or two jokes out of that, that they could get. And then they said, okay, let's, let's, mm -hmm. you know, get, the focus off him and let's do a little bit of back and forth let some of our you know seasoned writers uh help buoy this a little bit and i i just think it worked i, I don't think it was remarkable but I, I think it it was a smart move and i think the end result was serviceable and that's good for me fair enough beautiful for our first live sketch live from saint rose of lima auditorium and sports center it's the 2019 nephew pageant oh, i Loved this. <laughs> this basically mixed the Westminster Daddy Show from right. the uh, Matt Damon episode and uh, kind of smashed that with the songs that 80s sung right. during the Millennial Millions. And in so many other pre-tapes over the yes. last couple of seasons. Yes. And so now we just, we, we smush those two together in uh, a sketch that I was laughing pretty much front to back. Uh, <laughs> so many, like I, this is one of the few times where I've actually taken notes live for the show because I was fully aware that I'd be doing this with you. Right. And every single time I'd take a note and then look back up, I was missing so many details because uh, like when when Kyle Moody comes out as Devin, you get like you always get these little details of the nephews. Uh, like he's a late bloomer, a good friend, and he's scared of sports. Yeah, and, it's his stat card that takes up half the screen, <laughs> right? And like uh, Chris plays Daniel, and uh, yeah, I totally had missed this until I saw it later that uh, Daniel hates fake people and he's good at Lent. <laughs> yep, and backflip fail in quotes <laughs> was his, his first bullet point. And him trying to dance on his uh, uh, crutches was hilarious. Yeah, the, the boys' awkward peacocking, you know, especially <laughs> Kyle Mooney, who yes. is just masterful with these kind of like awkward youthful characters. Right. Uh, so good because you can see him like it's almost like you can see the coaching that went on beforehand. Like you're going to want to kind of strut this way and, you know, pose this way, but he hasn't quite got it down. So he's just a little like jerky and lacks confidence. And it just, <laughs> it all just pours out of him. 
I just I love to see Kyle Mooney when they can put him to good use like that. And I, I thought this was this was just beautiful stupidity. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And the songs. The songs yeah. from eighty. Lights, camera, nephews. <laughs> nephews are gold, nieces are silver, and pets, they are the bronze. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Yeah, so I, I don't think there's any point in like digging deep on any, you know, great meaning behind this. This just, yes, was all of the silliness that we can just layer into this dumb premise. And, uh, I, I just feel like they went to some really fun places and, uh, I gotta, gotta count that as a win. I, I really, yeah. I really was on the floor at the end of this. Just going, what yeah. the hell was that? Keenan as the judge, <laughs> the boy wins. Yeah. So that's, that's one little thing that I couldn't quite figure out. Were they basically saying like this judge is brain damaged or, in in some way incompetent so he's just basically year over year just saying the one boy's name that he knows so this one kid just keeps winning year over year i don't know it's just more that you know absurdity that you can't right. quite figure out but you're charmed by it uh yeah. yeah so all of it was working at the end of this yeah i was having a lot of fun oh yeah after that we get a pre-tape the game of thrones saga continues through a plethora of sequels prequels and spin-offs and along the way we get an appearance from ice tea and mariska Hargitay? Hargitay. Hargitay from Law & Order. What'd you think of this guy? Uh, ooh, uh, mm. Well, like I said, don't really have much context for Game of Thrones, and this is so rapid fire that I could, couldn't even barely grasp what they were making reference to before, sure. before they had moved on. So really, the only thing I can take away from this is the little bit of animation that they had <laughs> for the uh, Daria parody that they did, which I'm just going to throw out here. We've already talked about the Sandler show. I'm wondering if this is some sort of test for, for a small group of animators to maybe come back and do a TV funhouse when Sandler hosts. Because <laughs> he does work with Smigel a lot, so I wouldn't be surprised if Smigel comes back as a guest writer or something for that, that Sandler episode. Mm. And uh, I don't know. I, I just saw that and was like, holy crap, animation. Oh, wait. Hmm. Wow. You are, you are able to uh, pull together the most tenuous of threads into a fully <laughs> formed that's, theory. That's what I do. <laughs> um, well, you know what? I couldn't say. You know, We'll see what the Sandler episode is. If Robert Smigel shows up in the credits, awesome. Um, the thing, though, was the TV Funhouse stuff. That was the era after Sandler, like after Robert Smigel had written with the show, then yeah. he just kind of did that little thing, you know, mm. up into the 2000s. So, oh, don't burst my bubble. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, I have a feeling it was just a little bit of animation for animation's sake, because uh, yeah. that's getting easier and easier to produce. So uh, I wasn't reading into it. But hey, you know what? If for whatever reason Robert Smigel was in the mix on the Adam Sandler episode, that would not be a terrible thing. So that's what I want. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, this sketch kind of yeah, it just kind of went over my head. Not bad. Had some good jokes, but uh, eh, you know, yeah, I don't watch Game of Thrones either, so the specifics in it were all beyond me. But mm -hmm. just taking it as a generic fantasy Lord of the Rings kind of fair mishmashed with all these other genres i can respect what they were doing and i'm certain that for game of thrones fans it was all working marvelously yeah i want to offer props to the makeup guys like louis zakarian was on point with heidi gardner's whatever winter zombie or whatever that was that she was i was impressed it's a very expensive show it seemed like <laughs> this and uh, uh another pre-tape down the line 
The video game one. Yeah. yeah. It seemed like we, we did throw a lot of budget at this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a credit to how big they can make these pre-tapes look just through the magic of digital editing now. Like there's a lot that they can do just in a little editing bay that you just couldn't do 10 years ago. So that's part of it. But yeah, mm. the makeup department, they they just pull off magic week over week. And this was definitely a big week for them. Even uh you had Pete in the monologue there. Mm-hmm. Gone up to the nines as one of the bad guys from Game of Thrones. So yeah, yeah, busy, busy week for costuming and for the high production values and, and special effects and a lot of the digital stuff. So I will definitely applaud that. I think from a production standpoint, uh, you, you really do have to respect what Oz Rodriguez, who directed this, pulled off. And uh, yeah, just uh, <laughs> I guess this is the one for the fans. This is the obligatory Game of Thrones fan service. We can get it out of the mm-hmm. way early and then hopefully, you know, just get into some sillier fare after that. And I think that uh, it was probably as good as anything they were going to come up with. So yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Beautiful. Let's keep moving. We get another live sketch. A group of Rat Pack impersonators utterly fail to distance themselves from recently disgraced King of Pop, Michael Jackson. Oh, man. So at one point, Leslie screams, oh, I can't watch this anymore. (laughs) And I felt that in my soul. Uh, Okay. So much. Because for me, this was dead on arrival. Really? I did not like this at all. I hated the fact that it felt it needed to over-explain itself at every single turn, and I didn't even like the idea to begin with, and so I'm going to leave it there. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I didn't hate it. I thought it was kind of clever. Uh Because I didn't really pick up on what the joke was at the beginning. Like, I didn't get that even though it was obvious that they were done up like the Jackson five and like Michael Jackson, and they were doing an obvious Michael Jackson song. Like, even though all that was there, I didn't understand what the goof was. I didn't understand what the conceit was. I didn't understand why they looked that way when they're supposedly a Frank Sinatra impersonator Mm. band. So because I was scratching my head at the beginning, I was really happy when they start to reveal a little bit of what led to this point where they started out as, a Michael Jackson cover band, but because of recent developments in that documentary, they have to kind of walk their way back from that and reinvent themselves. I, I think that's kind of funny. You're stuck on a cruise ship. You've got a contract, but nobody wants to see Michael Jackson anymore. What are you going to do? So I, I thought there was Mm. something clever there and I felt that there was enough little gags along the way, like, you know, you know, Frank's sister Latoya and just, you know, just dumb, silly, you know, throwaway one-offs that were keeping it together. I, I don't think this was spectacular, but I thought it was perfectly fun. And on top of that, you get um, a little bit of back and forth with the people at the table who are experiencing this show and you get a fun little reveal that Leslie Jones is just really this, you know, brash lady that hoarded in on some people's table that had no history with her. So there's, there's even a little bit there that I was amused by. I felt like, you know, they needed out. They found something a little more clever than what they sometimes do. So I was okay Uh, with it. I would say that that the whole reveal of Leslie, they don't know Leslie starts um, a weird trend throughout this episode of sketches just throwing in one last little twist with five seconds left to go that add very little to it. So, but yeah, that's that's all I can say. (laughs) Well, they add very little, but they do provide an out. And if you have a sketch that just kind of you know, lumbers and falls off at the end without any kind of button, then we would have the opposite critique. So I at least have to respect that they tried to find a fun way to exit on 
you know, and just leave you on a, a fun little beat. Mm. So I appreciate what they're going for. Not all writing, you know, can be absolutely top notch. So, you know, our mileage may vary, but I'll respect it when a sketch attempts to round itself out and bring itself to a conclusion. And one thing about this whole show and this sketch in particular is I found that I was enjoying it a lot more on rewatch because a few times throughout the show where you have a sketch that does have a big reveal. Once you watch that sketch again, knowing, you know, what the conceit is, the rest of the sketch becomes funnier because they do telegraph it in some ways that you don't pick up on the first time through. So like mm-hmm. when Leslie sits down at the table and she's a little mean to uh, Heidi's character and she's drinking her pina colada and some of that can just go over your head and you don't really realize that, yeah, this is just, you know, a terrible woman who has no sense of boundaries or whatever, but you don't really pick up on all that the first time through, but the second time through, there's a bit more to bite into. So I got to say, I was having fun with this. You know, this isn't a, a memorable, you know, historic sketch that anyone's going to be talking about down the line, but for what it was, I felt that it was a perfectly good entry for the night. And I was actually happy to see it at the end of it. I, I was, you know, I was pleased. Okay. I can't agree with you, but okay. <laughs> All right. And that's totally fair. It's not for everyone, but this next one, this might be a little bit more up your alley. So we get a pre-tape, the non-playing characters in a cutting edge VR game have some issues to hash out. This is, I think, a very unique sketch. I don't think mm. we've seen anything quite like this before from SNL. So can you set this up a bit? Can you paint a picture of really what this was and what they were going for? Well, you got Pete Davidson uh, in, a, in a Best Buy-esque sort of store alongside Alex Moffat, and he's trying out this VR helmet and checking out this new game called Earth War 3. Mm-hmm. And so he gets into the the world of the video game and yeah basically it just he he can't even start the game because ethan and damien are just <laughs> having problems and, and won't even let him start the game and so aesthetically i loved this because it really felt like to me as as a, a fan of video games for much pretty much my entire life uh it felt like a throwback to old Sega CD full motion video games. If you ever remember mm. any of those like night trap mm-hmm. or sewer shark, like it, it, it threw me right back to like 1992 or 93, uh, where, yeah, it was just actors coming up and speaking directly at the camera. Like, all right, let's go do this. And so there was fun moments on just riffing on just video game references. I, I love when, Pete gets so angry that he starts punching <laughs> kits and he's like punching him. He's like, what, 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 watch it as he's punching. I'm like just repeating the words. And, uh, I was actually thinking, I mean, this has a little bit of precedent because I think pretty much the first sketch post monologue for our season premiere with Adam driver was a sketch about Fortnite, mm-hmm. uh, which it turns out to be one of the biggest games of all time right now. So uh, Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel are, are definitely prescient on their video game references and stuff. So I think just generally I enjoyed this because of the, the video gaminess of it all, which right. is just really fun to see on SNL. It's just, it's a show has been going on for 44 seasons and it's only now that we're getting references to video games, which is, which is pretty cool. Uh, but the actual jokes inside of it just kind of felt like wrote a little bit. Mm. Uh, 
I don't know. Once I got the whole idea that these two were having problems and I, I just I, I knew exactly how it was going to go where he just couldn't start the game because they, they would just keep on cornering them <laughs> and he'd go find other people and they'd also be wondering what it's about. So it didn't really surprise me with any jokes in that context, but the whole aesthetic of it mm-hmm. uh, really won me over. So uh, thumbs up for that. Sure. And I think really when it comes right down to it, the the aesthetic is 90% of the joke. It's the way the camera's moving. It's the way the lighting is. It's the way mm-hmm. that uh, even just the room itself, the way it's dressed feels like yeah. a rendered video game scene. The way that everybody moves, bobs their head. Nobody right. kind of has proper eye focus. Everything about that is very true to how sort of like the the introductory stage of a video game would look where you've got some character that comes up to you to give you a whole bunch of exposition and you have limited ways of interacting with them you can really only dismiss them or mm. you know like go down track one or go down track two with them it had all that it had the heads up graphics it had everything that you need to build that world and i thought that was fantastic i it, it was so authentic that I just don't know how they turn this stuff around in a week. Like right. think about the set itself because everything is handheld camera, you know, just a guy bobbing, pretending to be kind of like first person mode. Uh, you have to have the better part of 360 degrees for him to maneuver around. And then you've got the side rooms, you know, like the gun room and you've yeah, got the bathroom yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. So you had a, a serious set there that they were working on and that's that's just amazing. It's just absolutely incredible. A super expensive episode. Like, yeah. What's going on? So that's half the fun right there is just picking up on how it feels so authentic. That that mm. in and of itself is really rewarding just to like identify with, yeah, yeah, this this practically, if you squint just a little bit, this practically could be crisis or, you know, some other, uh, mm-hmm. you know, modern first person shooter. So that right there kind of had me drawn in. You're right that mashing that up with sort of like reality TV level sort of like interpersonal conflicts (laughs) Uh, making that kind of the thing that's derailing this video game that all the non-playing characters all seem to have issues with each other and are looking to kind of get you on their side, (laughs) you know, all of that kind of stuff. That's amusing, but that's not the remarkable part of the sketch. The remarkable part of the sketch really is just this world that they created out of nowhere that just feels so right in so many ways. So I got to applaud that. Yeah, I just wish the jokes were on that same level, because really, if they were, oh my god, we'd have a classic. Well, I am going to give it high marks. You're right, not classic, but I definitely feel this is a win, and I, I just, I can't applaud enough the the production quality. Even something as subtle as turning up the shutter speed on all of the in-game footage so that there's less motion blur and making the lighting more harsh and dramatic mm-hmm. in-game, and then having everything look very smooth and theatrical in the Best Buy store, you know, like just having those yeah. two different film aesthetics just continues to help sell that in-game world. And that's just, who has time for that? Who has time to, <laughs> to make that, you know, really sing the way that that sung. So, uh, yeah, no, this was a win for me. If not super brilliant, which I think is a fair critique. Yeah. Let's take a look at our musical performances. Sarah Bareilles performs fire and St. Honesty. Uh, I was into this. Uh, some some nice little mellow jams here. Nothing to fully write home about, but uh, I dug it. Uh, it was like the harmonies and songs were pretty catchy and, you know, I was all right with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I really, really liked it. Okay. As I was watching these performances, I remembered that there was the better part of a decade 
when I was super big on women singer songwriter at a piano type artists, your Sarah okay. McLaughlin's, your Chantal Kreviazic's, your Sarah Harmer's, your Tori Amos, your Liz Fair, all of that uh, scene from the late '90s into the early 2000s. Um, oh, and I'm, like me personally, like I'm a huge Joni Mitchell fan. So well, there you this, go. yeah, this is a huge. This is right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah. So. I was listening to this and I was, I was hearing just a lot of tones and qualities that took me back to that era. Uh, I was hearing a little Fiona Apple there in the second song. I was just, I was hearing a lot that I liked that I could tap into. So purely because this connected with me and a genre of music that's close to my heart, uh, this was a big win. I just, I had a lot of fun with it. I was really digging it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can agree. Yeah. She's a talented lady. And in that second song, she really, uh, she really hits a few notes there. She really belts it out. So I, I can respect her pipes as well. Yeah. So high marks for Sarah Bareilles, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, sure. Hey gang, did you know that our show is made possible solely by the support of listeners like you? It's true. And in order to keep the cast going for future seasons, we need to reach our funding goal of 100 Patreon supporters by the end of May. If you happen to be one of said awesome listeners and you want to offer your support, then please head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash SNL podcast and come on board. If you do, you'll get exclusive patron only perks and rewards, including our members only podcast feed that provides early access to extended cuts of each new episode that contain upwards of 20 minutes of additional discussion. If you're enjoying the show and you want us to stick around for season 45, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. And show us some love. And before we jump back into the cast, I want to give a shout out to Justin from Kansas City, Missouri, who's one of our most stalwart featured player patrons. Justin, thank you so much for your support. And now, back to the show. <laughs> Weekend update. For their lead-in, Justin Che discussed the recent Joe Biden misconduct allegations. A pretty good run here. Uh, I, I like that uh, Joe Biden is is like your uncle that calls spring sundress time <laughs> sure the thing with weekend update and and kind of also going back to the cold open is it always kind of annoys me when the cold open and then the first run of weekend update are about the same thing sure and they've got the same point of view mm-hmm. and it just feels sometimes like the cold open is like where they threw the castaway jokes and then they saved the best for weekend update and so I would say that out of the Joe Biden material for the episode, I would say that we get stronger jokes here in Weekend Update, uh, especially the one about the independent Republicans of New York. <laughs> sure. Irony, <yes. laughs> yeah, calling him, calling him out. Uh, so that that was pretty good too. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't. I I don't think I presume that maybe the way that they run at their political coverage is kind of that calculated where it's just one stew of political material. And then they siphon off the dross for the, uh, the cold open and they leave the, the great stuff for weekend update. Cause that's the tent pole of the show or something. I'm just kind of being a jackass. Yeah. So, I mean, like I, I wouldn't paint it in those terms. It's just, you've got two completely different formats. One is a joke delivery format in weekend update. And the other one's a sketch where you have to pull the jokes into some sort of, you know, loosely hanging premise. So Mm -hmm. you're going to get different levels of hilarity. You know, when a joke really lands, it, it can kind of like punch you in the gut. You know, it can really, really impact you more than kind of throwaway dialogue in a sketch can. So I think that's why weekend update always feels a little more potent 
But I think you're absolutely right that when they hit a topic in the cold open or in an earlier sketch in the show and then hit it again in Weekend Update, it's not nearly as satisfying because it, it doesn't feel like Weekend Update owns it at that point. Right. But that said, they were solid jokes. <laughs> you know, there, there was a, a lot here that still had me grinning, even if, you know, we had already taken a run at it before. So uh, I was okay with it. I, I thought that the political run was serviceable, but I felt that their second run was really stunning. Like I, when they got off that, you know, and we get past mm-hmm. the Alex Moffat feature and they do a second run, I thought all of that material was fantastic. I was really having a lot of fun with that. Yeah. The, uh, the avocados would right. <laughs> uh, spurn the million Megan March. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking in particular the, uh, the star Wars orgy. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that one got me. That one got me. Or the, the, uh, game of Thrones Oreos diabetes yes. is coming. <laughs> yeah. The, the chicken with the, whatever the contraption on it, like just eat the chicken. All of yeah. that I thought was really fantastic. So I, I, I'm going to give, uh, Jost and Shea high marks. I, I think that overall their contribution was solid this week, but you're right. Sometimes we do get a little bit burnout on one particular political topic when they hit it multiple times throughout the show. So fair yeah. criticism, but what do you think of Alex Moffat as macro dosing film critic, <laughs> Terry Fink? I love this. Okay. This is exactly my type of nonsense. Uh-huh. And, uh, I really should have rewatched this before we sat down because, uh, especially once he gets onto the Dumbo, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> thing, which oh my god like you never expected it to be a remake of trumbo and the touching jihadist message (laughs) and it gets three screaming hot dogs and one dr robotnik yeah lsd helps me lsc these films (laughs) oh my god it's uh yeah front to back so good Mm -hmm. this was bizarre it's caught you off guard you know all the little you know uh insane hallucinations <laughs> that he drops are just so perfectly timed and delivered and throwing them back at jost you know like oh you still believe in time like that's something that is so true of you know someone burnt out on lsd right like just their whole sense of space and time is completely shattered so right. uh yeah yeah i i cannot wait for the sequel to this because no doubt this is coming back and i hope they can laser focus on on the ridiculousness of the of the Dumbo run. Cause sure. that, that was, I was howling. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. Yeah. We could definitely see this a few more times. Hopefully they can keep it fresh. Uh, if they do great. Yeah. I will welcome it back, but we're not done yet. We also get Keenan Thompson as Charles Barkley to discuss the start of the final four. <laughs> There's, there's plenty to enjoy in this. Uh, the only thing black in Minnesota is toenails, <laughs> right. uh, lake people being shady, and just, I love just watching uh, Keenan cracking up Michael uh, is just so, so charming, right. the, the interplay between those two. Uh, and I'm hoping, you know, like, listen, this very well might be Keenan's last, uh, last year at the show. And I'm, I'm hoping we get one last appearance of Willie. Mm-hmm. And I just want to throw that out there. That was always my favorite, yeah, my favorite Keenan weekend update character. Mm-hmm. So, ooh, ooh, I'm hoping we get one more. <laughs> yep. Agreed. If they put Keenan at the desk every week between now and the end of the season, just to do a victory lap of all of his weekend update staples, totally down with that. Yeah. This was fun, serviceable. This wasn't the highlight. I felt that Alex Moffat stole the show, but oh, yeah, this was yeah. still perfectly good. So yeah. uh, overall, I'm giving weekend update high marks. I thought this was a fun one. Strong, strong weekend update. Back half of the show. We get a live sketch. A fiancé surprises his bride-to-be by performing burlesque at her bachelorette party. 
it was all right. I think Melissa had the most amount of fun uh, out of this sketch. I love her just excitingly uh, yelling, show us your body, adi, adi. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I just, I still don't know why the show doesn't know how to use Melissa because uh, I just, I feel she kills it every single time, even in this small little role here. Uh, just is doing great work. And so Kit's doing all right. I, I don't feel like he's throwing himself in it as much as it probably needs to be truly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a little bit of reservation there. But Kate McKinnon as the French uh, teacher prostitute ghost <laughs> <laughs> was was also quite fun. The The kind of Kate McKinnon uh, character I like to see, mm-hmm. uh, but this was another one that ended on a weird capper. Where at the end, uh, Melissa was the sister to Kit uh, the entire time, and I was like, "Okay, well, I didn't need that as the last line of the sketch." What? <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, actually, we go out on a like Leslie spit take in response to that, which is oh. kind of a go-to exit for them. So yeah, mm-hmm. maybe not the the strongest exit, but at least it had one. You know, there are mm-hmm. some that, again, just limp to the finish line. So the fact that there is a bit of a reveal there that she's uh, Kit's sibling, I, I was okay with it. Again, not super strong. This is back half of the show material. Yeah. But on a show that I'm already having fun with, giving them a chance to say, okay, what's the most awkward situation we can put the host in just to have a little bit of back half of the show fun? Um, I was fine with it. I would call it a marginal win just because it wasn't really the, up there as far as the strongest material of the night, but still amusing enough. It's okay. It's okay. Sure. So let's uh, keep rolling along here. After that, we get a pre-tape, a diary in the life of Teresa May. Do you want to set this up? Like, what, what's your take on this? What is this? Ooh, man, I don't know. I am of two minds on this because kind of like the VR sketch, aesthetically, I absolutely love this. It kind of felt, you know, I'm going to flex my vintage SNL muscle here. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of something Tom Schiller used to do for the show where it's very dreamlike and it's very melancholy and uh, you, you get uh, Sarah Bareilles in there singing another song and so the mood of it and the way it looked and what, what it was doing really worked for me mm-hmm. but the fact that it's about Theresa May just really threw me. Okay. Especially since it made, like, listen, I'm not the biggest on even American politics. <laughs> so really keeping up with Theresa May and the whole Brexit nonsense, uh, I'm only getting bits of it uh, back to me. But it really does seem kind of like like if a UK sketch show did a super melancholy sketch about Trump in his wall. Like it, it just I don't know. I don't know what this was going for, to be honest but I still kind of liked it. Okay. I, I felt like it was just trying to take Teresa May and say, sympathize with a woman that literally has the entire world aligned against her in so many ways right now. Like whether you love her or hate her, this woman's not having a great week. So can we kind of just mm-hmm. paint a few vignettes of silly ways that she may also be having a bad week. That's just heaped on top of, you know, all the Brexit drama. And I just felt like, you know, just as quick little pastiche that that was really fun to just walk through that uh, and not read too much into whether, you know, it lines up with your personal politics, whether you're on Theresa May's side or not. Um, if you can divorce yourself of that, I, I just felt like it was co- sort of like, a you know, sad mouse esque 
you know, it's mm-hmm. just about the feeling that it paints and just going for this, uh, sort of like walk in this person's shoes for a few minutes. Yeah. The choice to make a Theresa May is what makes it more caustic and, and weird. If it was just, if they were able to paint it any other way of here's the day of life of you know, this sad mouse or whatever, but to make a Theresa May, uh, really just puts it in another light. Okay. And, uh, so I, I think I if, if I'm, if I'm reading between the lines here, I think you do just have trouble separating it from personal politics or, or what your view of Theresa May is. Cause it just sounds like she's not a character that you want to sympathize with. Well, yeah, I think most people will too. I think sure. she's not a, uh, yeah. Like I said, it's, it's like creating a sketch to sympathize about Trump. Like, Oh, but just think about his hard week. And it's like, well, no, sure. But uh, if you, if you, if you revile Theresa May, then you're watching this and you're saying, great, you know, she's getting kicked while she's down. This whole thing is just underscoring the hole she's dug for herself. Like you can take it either way. Cause she goes into this dream sequence where finally all of this effort has paid off and she saves Britain. And then she wakes up and no, you know, there's, yeah. I got nothing, you know, I'm completely just out of options and I got no allies, no one in my corner. And every time I step out on the street, yeah, a mud puddle jumps on me. Like if you don't like Theresa May, this is very much a, a sad sack kind of a take on her that people might, you know, frame it in line with their own biases and enjoy it on those terms. Yeah. But still at the end, the sketch says, Hey, screw you. I'm trying though. So it does kind of lay out its own personal (laughs) bias. Uh, sure. I, I think, I think they just give her one very, uh, fleeting moment to remind us that, you know, she's a human being that is, is whether you agree with it or not is working her butt off to try and accomplish something for, for right or wrong. She at least mm. has some passion and she should be allowed to, you know, speak up when, when she needs to, I don't know. See, here's the thing. I, I don't hate Theresa May. I don't care about Brexit. I don't have any dog in the fight. And so for me, just purely the tone and the emotion that this presented, just the idea of a character that, you know, um, Charlie Brown style, just, yeah, <laughs> just sadly moping that's, through that's life. That's what I'm saying. Is I really wish it was about anything other than Theresa May, and then <laughs> I really would have loved it. So, a a half win because <laughs> okay. I'm really into yeah, I'm I'm into this being a part of SNL, like melancholy and just other types of tones. It doesn't always yeah. need to be set up punchline, super absurd or whatever. Like I like this, uh, especially in the back half of the show. I like to kind of change it up. So. It was definitely meant to be a little more challenging, right? Because it it does divide because you are immediately Mm going to take your place (laughs) uh, politically with it. So I think they knew that they weren't going to have everyone on board with it, but I just think they felt too enamored with what this piece could be that they went with it, regardless of how divisive it might be for some. And uh, I respect it. Yeah. For back half of the show, I, I think this is perfectly fitting. I like seeing things that are a little more challenging and just leave you scratching your head going, okay, so really what was the point of view on that? You know, yeah. like I got a feeling, but are they really trying to say something or is it just painting a picture for you to interpret? Right. Yeah. So, so it's, it's pretty ballsy and yeah, it does kind of create a dialogue. So, you know, I'm all right with that. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Let's take a look at another live sketch. Three nerdy web designers go full on Dungeons and Dragons to settle an office dispute. Someone in the writer's room must be up on his LARPing because there was a lot of authenticity in this uh, oh, yeah. little outing. What'd you think? This work? Uh, this was all right. And this is, uh, you know, all the nerdy references of this episode coming home to roost because we've got Dr. Robotnik, VR, Game of Thrones, yes. and now we've got LARPing. Right. And uh, so it, it was all right. I think the best part is is when they 
have the masturbation photo of Mikey Day, who's the boss, and uh, he snatches it away, and then they're like, duplication spell, duplication <laughs> yeah. spell, and they start throwing all of the photos around. Uh, that really got me. But the rest of it was kind of eh, middling, you know, fine for back half. Uh, and I liked the specificity of of what we were going for here. But, uh, you know, it was all right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mad at it. Yeah, I feel very similar. It was fun for what it was, but it wasn't great. You know, if, if you're up on what they're referencing and maybe you did play your fair share of role-playing games growing up or whatever, you could invest a little bit more. But for the casual viewer, it's probably just fun, but not spectacular. Yeah. And like I said, the whole duplication spell part really got me. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it, it had a few definitely fun moments that were holding it together. Yeah. yeah. So to get laughs this close to one o'clock is still pretty, pretty good. Very good. Speaking of one o'clock, we get our 10 to one sketch. The competence of his staff is tested when the owner of a clinic goes undercover to receive a proctology exam. I think a lot of this passed me by. Okay. There's some bits in it. I love Leslie. She's got these huge nails that she's, you know, they're not even like press-ons or anything. She's grown them out. Right. Like, this is six years of my life. And she uh, opens up a Fanta with just slamming it, like slamming your nail on it. And I was like, oh, that's nice. That is very nice. And uh, I liked the uh, the line about, let me get a clear view of that sugar bowl. <laughs> was was pretty good. But as I've been pointing out uh sketches just kind of ending with a bizarre plot twist to make this all a undercover boss scenario didn't really quite work for me uh it just feels like they got to a point in the sketch where they had run out of all their fun details and it's like okay well what do we do okay let's do this and we'll get out so Still for, you know, you're, you're 10 to 1, you're 5 to 1, uh, not, not bad, not bad effort. Okay. Uh, I was a little warmer on it, and probably because I did have an opportunity to rewatch it. And when you rewatch it, the setup where they're very, very bad at their job in very specific ways makes so much more sense. Because at the end of it, the big reveal is that you think the boss is going to be upset with them for being so incompetent, but he applauds them for these very specific techniques that they're employing that you wouldn't expect to be part of the proctology exam process. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I was going to say that all the details with Pete were really fun. Yeah. And he like trains the um, assistant to be flirty for a specific yeah. purpose to disarm. Um, and then, you know, same thing with Leslie, all of them were performing flawlessly but you watch the whole sketch up to that point thinking that it's a train wreck because these are just the most terrible, you know, professionals in the biz. So to turn it on its head and then uh, have an opportunity to go back and watch what they're doing very specifically and realize that it was written in such a way as to really telegraph those behaviors or those uh, whatever techniques that you think are so you know terrible. It, it, it works better on the second viewing, but even on the first viewing. I still enjoyed it. You know, it just, we're pretty deep into the show. So your expectations get a little more reasonable as you're getting closer Mm -hmm. to one o'clock. But I'm at this point, as we're going into this, the sketch, I'm thinking this has been, you know, a a fairly enjoyable show. And, uh, I'm surprised how much I'm still kind of 
up on the show. I still have a lot of energy. I still want to see another sketch. I'm not itching to go to bed. So yeah. I think I just maybe went into it with the right attitude so that the goofiness of, you know, the orderly holding him down and saying, you know, just give up. And, just, you, know, give up. <laughs> and you know, and then the, the reveal at the end and, and uh, finding out that no, everybody was totally on their game and they're getting applauded for it. Uh, I found that amusing. I, it, again, not spectacular, never going to think about it again, but still amused, still having fun with the show. And uh, I was just happy to leave it at that. I think that that's a good way to go out. Not, uh, not feeling like they really misfired on the 10 to one. Yeah. Fair enough. I feel like if I had gotten a rewatch in there, I'd be a little bit stronger on it. So yeah, I think a few of the sketches tonight were really helped by going into it, knowing what the turn's going to be. Cause then you can dwell on the minutia and get a, a little bit more fun out of the specifics that might go over your head. Uh, so yeah, this is a show that I feel definitely deserves a rewatch for it to really grow on you and maybe be appreciated as much as, as it should. Mm. So with that, why don't we uh, jump into our ratings moment of the night? What do you got? So moment of the night goes to Alex Moffat for the whole <laughs> Dumbo rant sure. uh, leading up to the three screaming hot dogs and one Dr. Robotnik. Uh, that whole run there, like I said, just had me howling with laughter. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to give it give it to that, that whole run there. Okay. I'm going to give it to kind of a, a weird moment, and I want to frame this right so it doesn't come off sounding creepy. <laughs> I'm giving it to the moment in the Game of Thrones pre-tape when... Uh, Kit Harrington is having a conversation with Heidi Gardner as some kind of ghoul zombie character. Mm -hmm. And at one point she's like, well, this is what you really want. She starts to like unbutton her shirt. And as that's happening and I'm trying to, you know, I'm not, Jesus you know, like Christ, John, where are you going? <laughs> anyways, I'm, I'm trying to handle this delicately because this, <laughs> this isn't, this isn't seedy in any way, but as this is happening, the obvious indication of where that scene's going is, you know, it's going to get, somehow you know explicit neurotic mm -hmm. and so as she's unbuttoning i know that there's going to be a gag i know that they've done something to make the reveal horrific but you don't know what it is so i'm just watching it going okay what did they do to make this creepy in line with what the character is like what am i about to see knowing that it's not going to be in any way you know inappropriate that way what are they going to do to deliver this joke and then when she does open up and she's just, you know, like ribs and dangling flesh and it's just, you know, as disgusting as the rest of her, mm. I just felt that that was probably the best reveal that they could have done in that moment. Like, I think that the whole setup is just kind of, uh, well, just engrossing because you're like, okay, wh what are we about to see? And I know that that's weird, but <laughs> it was just, it was something that really obviously captured my attention. Yes, it certainly did. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, you know, trying to, trying to present that idea as appropriately as possible, because really it had nothing to do with anything else. Cause you know that you're, you're watching network TV and you know that obviously that's not the direction they're going to go, but I didn't know what they were going to do. So I wanted mm. to see what they were going to do. And, uh, then just the the uh, accolades for the makeup department for not just having her face done up, but just her whole torso. And it looks emaciated and it looks like you can almost see through the ribs and just, wow, just such yeah. fantastic makeup and prosthetic work that they do on the show. So I don't know. That was just a very engaging moment. Uh, interpret that however you want, but that's yes. my moment. Very okay. engaging. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Best sketch. Oh, best sketch. Uh, the nephew pageant, of course. Sure. Uh, just super hilarious. Loved it. Front to back. Uh, yeah, every, every bit was gold for me. Okay. So hands down that. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That was a lot of fun. 
It was just quirky and bizarre. It was fun moments for 80. It was fun moments for Cecily. It was fun moments for Kate. Kyle Mooney in particular, just really Sean as a, an awkward boy being paraded around and he's just kind of just bewildered and you can see the lack of confidence as he's just trying to get through this very, very yeah. awkward situation that's been foisted upon him. So a uh, lot to like there. Very goofy. The, the little, um, rundown graphic that they put next to them as they're parading them out was a lot of fun. There's just, yeah, so much going on. They even had that really cheesy eighties, 90 blurry circle overlay so that you <laughs> could watch 80 singing all the little transitional music. Oh, just, yeah, just such a little stew of stupidity. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Agreed. Okay. MVP. Uh, can we give it to the production staff? Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> you can't, but I certainly respect the honorable mention because I'm, I'm right there with you. We had some fantastic production values this week. Yeah. And it's, it's a pretty evenly spread episode mm-hmm. is the thing. Uh, everybody kind of gets the little moments, even, even Ego and even Melissa. Get some some cream time in this and get some jokes. So I think just on the fact that it's a new character and I loved it so much, I'm going to give it to to Alex Moffat Mm -hmm. as his uh, macro dosing uh, movie reviewer. Yep. Uh, Yeah. No controversy. I'm going with Alex Moffat too for the same reasons. New character, fully realized. Like this isn't someone that we need to see two or three times before he's got it dialed in. He just Mm -hmm. came out with great material and he knew how to run at it. And he delivered it perfectly. And it was just really, really fun and impressive. Alex Moffat continues to impress. Yep. All right. Big question on a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? Uh, well, this is a, a slightly tricky one for me. I, I feel <laughs> if I could do it, I'd go with another decent plus. <laughs> Because it, it, this, again, lives somewhere for me. Like, I can't call it great, but I feel calling it decent uh, just isn't the right word for it. Uh, can I call it solid? Uh, you can, but <laughs> on my scale, what does solid relate to? Uh, somewhere between decent and great. Can we put that in there, please? Oh, no. No, this is not a hard scale. And you got to maybe, maybe what you're struggling with here is the word decent does not mean 50%. Like it does not mean this is the, the line between uh thumbs up or thumbs down on the episode. Decent is good. Decent is solid. Decent is a reasonable, typical outing of SNL. Yeah. It just doesn't ascend to any specific greatness. That's the thing is that this this episode does have some brief <laughs> moments of greatness in it, which really elevates it. But I don't know. I think some of the stuff brings it down. Uh, I, I know you were higher on it, but mm-hmm. the Sinatra, Michael Jackson thing really, really sank for me. And, you know, the back half stuff was all right, uh, generally. Ah, screw it. I'm going to give it a great. I'm going to say this one was great. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to land on the salty curve and come down on decent. (laughs) No, not this time. I'm going to go great. Well, I'm going great too. My first time through, I would have given it a decent because I would have looked at the end and said, you know what? This was fairly solid. We didn't have a lot of bottom out moments, but it wasn't a spectacular show. But when I rewatched it and 
was able to dial in on some of the specifics that you don't really pick up on until you know the reveal of the sketch or, mm-hmm. you know, just a few other jokes that just went over my head or, you know, maybe you're a little more tired Saturday night than, you know, Sunday. So when I had a chance to just double down on the episode and absorb a little bit more of it, I found that I was really, really amused. And I think it is a slight step up from even some that we've had over the last little while. So more than anything, this great is awarded as a recognition that the show continues to seem to be slightly on an incline, like just moving in the right direction ever so slightly with each episode. And uh, I feel like we're getting back into really fun territory. And so uh, I'm, I'm happy to be flirting with great again for an episode of SNL. Yeah, that's I mean, that's kind of my thing is is really on any other week. I probably would have just given this a decent. But as you say, I feel like we are. We were edging back into some really great material. Yep. And I feel like we're kind of building back up to what is going to be hopefully a real strong finish Mm -hmm. for the season. So, uh, yeah, you know, feeling pretty good about SNL right now. It does seem like the last few seasons of SNL have been a lot steadier in the back half, and they do seem to be at their best right around April, May. So, uh, yeah, it's promising. I agree. Beautiful. Uh, you got anything cooking you want to share with our audience before we check out? Uh, well, yeah. So uh, as mentioned, I, I run the uh, Vintage SNL uh, podcast that week in SNL. And I did an episode uh, with Mario Lanza, mm-hmm. one of the, uh, along with Mike Bloom, who does the uh, month in review episodes. Uh, I, I snagged uh, Mario away to do uh, the Dolly Parton episode from April 1989. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Okay. That was just something he randomly, I'd, I'd asked my Twitter feed, what kind of episodes would you like to see us cover? And that was the one that Mario chose. And I was like, all right, well, we got to get you in to talk about <laughs> sure. this one because I want to know why you want to talk about this Dolly Parton episode. Now, without giving it all away, what is infamous about the Dolly Parton episode that Mario latched onto? Because he would never tweet something without purpose. That episode must have some meaning for him. Uh, well, it's Mario, so he's the strangest Dolly Parton fan of all time. Uh, loves the woman, doesn't like the music. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you learn something new every day. Okay. He's in, Mario is a nutcase, uh, but I love him. So, yeah, we had a lot of fun, and uh, there's also me discovering that Mario did not watch the musical performance. <laughs> no, no, he never has and never will. Yeah, so if you ever wanted to figure out uh, what Mario would like to see from a musical guest, tune in. Okay. Because uh, we almost solve it, I think. All right. Well, we will <laughs> wait with bated breath. Um, yeah. Great. Well, thanks for uh, popping back in, and uh, we'll be checking in for Adam Sandler. Absolutely. I, As I said, cannot wait to see what that might be. Excellent. All right. That's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Andrew Dick. You can connect with Andy on Twitter at That Week in SNL. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Kalen Pope, and Neil Weinstein. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Emma Stone and musical guest BTS. Until then, this has been episode number 74 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to Sarah Morales!
Um, and did you say macrodosing? Because I think you mean microdosing, right? Like hallucinogenics? <laughs> Ain't nothing micro about these doses, Hoss. <laughs> LSD helps me LSC all these wonderful films. Now let's talk Dumbo. With big ears and an even bigger heart, Dumbo is a terrifying journey through hell. <laughs> a mostly garbled mass of colors and shapes, this bizarre remake of Brian Cranston's Trumbo <laughs> never quite finds its footing. But, just like an elephant, you'll never forget its touching jihadi message. <laughs> couldn't stop crying, or laughing, or sweating, or biting the fella next to me. I give it three screaming hot dogs and one Dr. Robotnik. Marcus? Yeah, I'm Colin. Um, how much LSD are you taking? <laughs> Please, who were you, the cop I slapped? <laughs> now pass out the cigars, Papa, because a star is born. Yeah, that came out months ago. Oh, Colin, you still believe in time?